Good morning. Uh, my name is Caleb. I uh, know many of you in the room. Some of you I do not, but I do help serve on the leadership team here at Hope. Uh, if you have a Bible with you this morning, you can turn or tap your way to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, don't panic. We're going to have the words on the screen as we go throughout, and uh, we're going to spend some time looking at other uh, scripture references earlier on as well. So I encourage you to follow along. Uh, my name is Caleb, and I do serve on the leadership team here, but I also, throughout the week, my job is as a teacher. I teach at Mount Jordan Middle School uh, just down the road. Uh, I teach seventh graders history, so it's, it's usually uh, quite an adventure. Uh, but being a teacher, I also get to coach. I, uh, I coach some basketball at Hillcrest High School in Midvale. And as a coach, being a coach, you, uh, you get to help run tryouts at the beginning of every season. And some of you in here may have experienced the trying out part of tryouts. Maybe some of you have helped run tryouts before. But when you're running tryouts, you're making judgments. You're having to uh, make decisions on, is this person going to make it? Uh, at what level are they going to be playing? You're thinking through a lot of different things as, you're, as tryouts are taking place. And there's even a, a part of tryouts right there at the beginning of tryouts where Kids are walking in, people are walking in, you're, you're seeing things, and you're starting to kind of already make some assumptions, uh, whether that's right or not. That's just kind of the way the human mind works, and you're starting to think that way. And uh, what I've learned over the years in coaching basketball, soccer, whatever else I'm doing, my assumptions are oftentimes incorrect. Someone can walk in really tall, that could be a really good basketball player. They get on the court, they're not a good basketball player. Um, Someone could be really short, and you're like, oh, I don't know if they, we have a place for them. But then they get on the court, and they're dribbling really well, and they're super quick, and they're really skilled, and you're like, oh, they can help us. Uh, another area that this comes into play is with attitude, right? We have a, you know, you have a, a, a player that's really talented and skilled, and you even talk to him. He seems pretty friendly. He kind of knows the right things to say. But then you get into the season, and you find out it's all about him, and his attitude's not great, and it's actually... He's actually hurting the team more than helping the team. Uh, but sometimes it's with our human judgments and our human fallibility, we just don't know some of that stuff right off the bat. And oftentimes our assumptions about people are incorrect. Uh, this can actually be seen all throughout Scripture. Uh, and we're going to look at a passage, some passages this morning that kind of help us see that. But uh, there's another example in Scripture of a story in First uh, and Second Samuel, actually multiple stories, but really there's two men that are really prominent figures in, in, in these stories in First and Second Samuel. It's, it's Saul, a man named Saul, and a man named David. Israel wanted a king, and uh, God allowed Saul to be their first king. And if you read in the, in, in the story, you'll see Saul is like, that's a born, natural born leader right there. Tall man, strong man, someone that Israel can look up to. This guy's going to be the leader that God wants. He's going to be the king that God wants, right? It's what everybody's thinking. But then you read into the story and you see that Saul is about Saul. He cares more about what he thinks than about what God thinks. And his life ends in disaster. You contrast that with David, who when Samuel, God's leader, goes to anoint him as the next king and God chooses him, Samuel's like, are you sure? Like, are you sure this is the one? Youngest in the family, just a shepherd boy, nothing special. Yet God used him in mighty, mighty ways. And we read about that in Scripture. Man after God's own heart, is what it said. Now, David was imperfect. He wasn't the perfect king that Israel needed. But God still used him in mighty ways, way more than he was able to use Saul. Which takes us to the question, who does God use? 
Who does God use? And this morning, I want us to take a deep dive into that question, as well as also look at the question, how does God use people? How does God use people? So uh, this morning, we're going to, uh, before we jump into Acts 9, we are going to jump into um, some passages, some verses, some stories in the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, where Jesus is living his life. And we, we read historical accounts of who Jesus was and what he did. And in these accounts, we read that he picks 12 disciples, men who are going to follow him, learn from him, begin to learn how to lead like him. And one of these prominent men that he picks is a man named Peter. For some of us in here, we might be familiar with the stories of Peter, but some of us might not, and that's fine too. But basically, Peter was just someone who was a simple fisherman. It's important also to notice about Peter that who he wasn't. Peter wasn't someone who had a lot of worldly resources and wealth to help Jesus further his ministry, his kingdom, with his, with his resources. Peter wasn't this prominent religious leader and scholar who knew the Bible backwards and forwards and was able to preach with incredible clarity and oratory skill. He was just a simple fisherman. Yet Peter recognized who he was early on at that. In fact, in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, it says, after Peter does this awesome miracle, makes all these fish appear, Peter says, he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And we're going to see this here. Peter notices it right away. But then we're going to see, see it all throughout what we'll be looking at for the next few verses. And that's that God uses broken people. God uses broken people. Peter was a bold, speak first, ask questions later type of person. If you read anything about him, you, you see this firsthand. And this helps him say some awesome things. It also helps him say some things that were very incorrect. Um, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, we read, Jesus saying to his disciples, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon replied, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Jesus complimenting Peter here. Literally, just a few verses later, in verse 21, Jesus preaching about how, teaching about how he has to die. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and then the third day be raised. So Jesus is teaching him there, and the, like, this is, this is just a few verses later in the story. We read again in verse 21 through 23. Now we're in 22, and Peter took him aside and was like, and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get me behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Peter went from, like, in a really good standing with Jesus to over here. Now, what happened? His standing with Jesus didn't change, but the way that Jesus thought about Peter in that moment and the way that Peter was acting did. What happened there? Peter did not fully comprehend the type of Messiah that Jesus was going to be. And so he just said what he thought. We oftentimes do that at times as well. Peter's a broken person. And we see that this more clearly than ever in Mark chapter 14, where at Jesus is on trial. He's about to be put to death. And Peter denies two times, and, or he, but again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. 
And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter was not someone who had it all put together. In fact, he was broken. He needed Jesus to not only save him, but to put his life back together. But the incredible thing is, the Bible doesn't end there. And we read about Jesus dying on the cross. And we read about Jesus rising from the dead. And then in John 21, he appears again to his disciples. And he gives Peter three times to, to say that he loves him. He asks Peter, do you love me? And in the third time, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. God still wants to use Peter. Jesus you know, even after everything Peter had just done to him or said, said about him and denying him, and in most important time, still wants to use Peter. And we see this in Acts. Book of Acts, kind of the, the next step, the church age. Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit's commissioned to his followers. And Peter is leading courageously. He's preaching boldly in an incredible way all throughout Acts 2 and on. All the way into the story that we see that we're going to read about this morning. Peter was a simple fisherman with, a big, with big problems, yet he was used by God. Oftentimes we have a tough time thinking about who God uses and then who he actually uses. Maybe, it, maybe you have some self-doubt with that. But be encouraged by the life of Peter, by the lives of all, so many people all throughout Scripture, that God uses broken people. But the one thing I do want to point out as well is at the beginning there in Luke 5, Peter recognized he was broken. He recognized. He had humility before God. He recognized that he needed a Savior. So God uses broken people. In Acts 9, we're going to see this morning that God uses all sorts of kinds of people. So Acts 9.36, where are we going to be this morning? Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Actually, I got to pull back for a second. Dorcas is a name that many of us read through and we're like, wow, that's a really tough name to have to have. So let me just pause for a second and say that the Bible was, uh, this, this passage was, was written in, originally in Greek. And uh, even in Aramaic, in Greek, her name actually means gazelle. So our English-speaking world might have trouble with that, but she had a really cool name and a really pretty name. So <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Um, so don't think of, oh, that's a weird name anymore, and we can, we can move on. Um, so, Tabitha. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, though, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weakening and showing him tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with him. So, Joppa, this port city, has a church, Christian church, it's there. And this woman, Tabitha, has had a profound impact on the church. She's been serving in the church. The text points to the fact that the church very well could have been meeting in her house, in the upper room or somewhere else. She definitely was a woman that had some resources if she was making clothes for other women, other women in need. Tabitha is a very, very, very different person than Peter. Tabitha has resources, probably well off. Peter, 
Not so much. Just simple fishermen. Tabitha is a woman. Peter's a man. Tabitha was probably older. Peter was probably more in the middle age category. Peter was an incredible preacher. Tabitha was an incredible servant. I think it's important for us as a church, as Christians, to realize that God's people don't all look and act the same way. And that's good. That's a good thing. There's diversity amongst us in this room. Yet, we are united around the good news and love of Jesus. Uh, some of you guys might have opinions, strong opinions on Lord of the Rings. My uncle calls it Board of the Rings because it's so slow and long and drags on and on and on. I'll, I'll be happy to discuss that with you later and argue with you. But, um, uh, but yeah, you might not think too much of it. But the story is, there's some incredible parts about the story. Uh, for example, there's all sorts of different people, types of people in the story, right? You have dwarves, and you have men, and you have elves, and you have these little hobbits, and you have all these different types of people. Yet, in the story, everyone is involved in behind the cause of fighting evil, destroying the one ring. In fact, in the story, it talks about, I think, all free folk, all free peoples are united around that cause. If your faith is in Christ alone, if you're a follower of Jesus, then we as God's people, God's freed people, even though we're all sorts of different, can all be united around the cause of Jesus and his mission. God uses broken people, and God uses all sorts of kinds of people. It doesn't matter what you've done, and it doesn't matter who you are, God can use you. So, that answers, who does God use? So, second question, how does God use people? We've already begun to see this here in Acts chapter 9, these first few verses that we've read. But let's take a closer look in verse 36 and kind of take a little deeper dive. Verse 36 says that Tabitha was full of good works and acts of charity, which means love. So she was someone who served and loved others. And that's a really simple, easy, yet awesome way that God uses people. God uses people to love and serve others. Love and serve others in the church. Love and serve others that are in need, both inside and outside the church. Tabitha is a woman with resources. She was probably extremely hospitable. The text, again, like I said, points to her home being used probably where they met even, as a church. In our culture today, a woman like Tabitha would probably be living in comfort, probably enjoying a nice retirement, um, just living comfortable. Yet, we see in this passage that she shows a lot of generosity and even sacrifice. In verse 39, these widows are weeping to Peter, showing them the clothes and all the stuff that she had made for them. And you're like, That's, what's kind of the big deal with that? Well, in this time period, there weren't life insurance policies for husbands to take out in case they died. So oftentimes, widows were in a very poor, destitute state. Yet, Tabitha is going out of her way to meet the needs, clothing, of these widows. She's sacrificing. There's, you read through this passage here, and there's, there's a sense of profound loss that this woman who had done so much in this church had died. There's a legacy of, of sacrifice, of service within this church with this woman. And as I was reading through this passage, I thought back to an experience that I had. Um, my grandpa uh, died in his mid-60s of a brain aneurysm pretty suddenly. And I was in high school at the time. And I remember going back for his, uh, well, we were obviously back there because he wasn't doing well, but then obviously going to his, his funeral and celebration service. 
And my grandpa wasn't a pastor or a religious leader in that respect or anything like that. Um, he just owned a car dealership, had a good reputation in the community, and he was a deacon, a servant in the church. I was struck by how packed out, it was a decent sized church, but how packed out that church was from people from everywhere. And uh, just the legacy that he left of just serving and faithfulness and sacrificing for others. Another thing that stands out to me as I think back about my grandpa was how he was oftentimes always smiling, even if even serving. And as Christians, we can have joy in our service. David alluded to it earlier when we were talking about gospel versus religion. But as one pastor kind of puts it, he says, we're working from grace. We're not working for grace. Because of the grace God has shown to us, we can work and pursue that effort and pursue the serving and loving others. We don't have to do it for grace. That grace has already been given to us. That unmerited favor, that unmerited love that God has shown us in sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. A broken people for our sins. So God uses his people to love and serve others. But also, we're going to see here in the last part of this passage that God uses his people to give life. So let's read this together in verse 40. So Peter is in the room now. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes when he saw, she saw Peter. She sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Now, there might be some in here who've read this story, and you're like, oh yeah, that story. But if you haven't read that story before, you probably read it and are like, whoa, okay, that's crazy. Some dead woman just rose from the dead based off a prayer. There's a lot to unpack here. But first notice the faith of the early church here. There's a faith and there's a hope that Tabitha could be resurrected. Because, and even by, by Peter in the way that God was working at that time period. And in, in earlier in the passage, in verses, uh, I think it talks about how they, they put her, no, I know it talks about how they put her up in the upper room. They don't get her ready for burial. They put her in the upper room and like, well, let's consult, let's, let's pray, let's, let's seek God first. Let's, go, let's see what Peter can, if Peter can possibly work through the Spirit and, 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 and do a, perform a miracle. And then notice what Peter does. He doesn't just walk in right away and say, hey, I'm going to perform a miracle, and he performs a miracle. No, he prays. Because in what name do we pray? We pray in Jesus' name. And Jesus' name is where we get the power. And Jesus' name is where Peter got the power. And Peter was able to do an incredible miracle in an incredible act of God. This time period, this miracle confirmed the resurrection power of the gospel and showed that salvation message to a lost and dying world. So, I know some of you guys in here are probably thinking, okay, Caleb, miracles, like today we could raise someone from the dead to life. Here's what I know specifically, and specifically have evidence of. Two weeks ago, we celebrated a couple baptisms, which show a picture of death to life. People were dead in their sins. We, if we're Christian, we're, we're we, you were dead in your sins, and you have been raised to new life based off your faith and trust in Jesus. God is still performing miracles today, and we still have specific evidence of that. 
When you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone to save you and you are saved by God, that is an act of God. That is a miracle. It's easy to forget that, but it is. And to make this point further, look at how God is at work here. In verses 42, this, path, this message is becoming known. Many are believing. The gospel is spreading. Christians are multiplying. Why? Because this is a hope that is so much more than mere self-improvement or something else the world can offer. This is a radical, life-transforming power. Now, I know for some in here, you might be thinking, that's great that we have this hope, there's hopes available, but this world is still broken. And you're right, it is. There's still death around us. There's still all sorts of tough stuff that we have to deal with in this world. Just a few weeks back, we got to visit Zion National Park. And um, I don't know if I came up with it, or I'm sure I didn't come up with it. I'm sure I heard it from someone. But uh, it being uh, the Disney World of National Parks. Because of how many people were there. It was insane how many people were there. But they were all there for a reason. That place is incredible. You walk around it. Like, I've been outside the park before, but never inside the park. And you walk around some of that stuff. It is insane. It is so cool. It is so beautiful. It was so beautiful to the point where it prompted a response. We didn't tell my two-year-old son this at all, but my two-year-old son's like, run in the jungle? Like, no, it's not the jungle, buddy. Like, we're still in Utah. (laughs) But it was so incredible. Yet, if you drive around that area, it is very much a desert in various points. (laughs) A lot of points. In the midst of the desert, there's this beautiful place. This beautiful nature is growing. Life is still there. In the midst of our world, our deserts that are all around us, there's still life, there's still hope, and there's still the hope of the gospel. And it's a present hope, and it's a world, hope the world can't offer. And it's a hope that we have to look forward to. Look at how it's described in Isaiah 25. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This is a beautiful hope that we have to look forward to. And it's a hope, again, like I said, the world cannot offer. The, the um, ancient pastor of the 4th and 5th century named Augustine said it really, really well. He said, wherever the human soul turns itself other than you, it is fixed in sorrows. You can look for hope in other places, but it's not going to add up. Because everyone dies, but Jesus didn't stay dead. And because he didn't stay dead, one day we don't have to either. And we can, in fact, live in that power, that power of his love in our service for each other, in the church, outside the church. And we can even share this love with others, no matter who we are or what we've done. Because there is life-giving power in that good news. In verse 42, let's look at it one more time. He said, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. God is still at work today, and we still have the opportunity today to share this good news with others. That Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins and the resurrection of his body from the dead defeated sin once for all. 
And our faith and trust in Jesus can change everything. If you're with us this morning and this is kind of new to you, I encourage you just to take a deeper look into what God might be saying. To the fact that, yes, he does use broken people. You can be messed up and that's okay. You can be someone who is from this walk of life or that walk of life or has this much money or this much money. You can, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done that God wants you to accept his love and his mercy through what Jesus has done. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, you may say, well, Caleb, you know, this sharing the good news with others, this loving others, serving others, like you know, various capacities, I'm just... I just don't know if I'm experienced enough or knowledgeable enough. I don't know if I have the right type of personality for it. Don't know if I'm a good enough Christian, whatever that means. But let's remember, who are the people God uses? As Christ followers, we're invited into the mission of God, no matter who we are or what we've done. And we are invited into this mission of loving and serving others, both inside and outside of the church, and giving life, giving life, the message of Jesus, to a lost, dying, and broken world around us. And we can live in this resurrection power and love because of what Jesus has done for us. In a minute here, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that this is a time for you to be able to reflect not just on the fact that hey, I haven't measured up here, or I need to do, I, I need to repent of this and turn from this sin here, or this lack of, this omission of not serving and loving the way I need to, or sharing the good news the way I need to. But I also hope that you remember that you're able to take this Lord's Supper and celebrate this, not because you are worthy or because it's of anything you've done, but because Jesus is worthy. And it's because of everything that he's done. That's why we can love and serve others, and that's why we can share life with others and give life with to others even through the good news of the gospel. And we can do this because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he rose from the dead. And we have this resurrection power available to us and living in us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your power. God, we ask that you would Strengthen us and help us to um, just walk in step with your spirit and what you want from us. Um, help us to recognize and realize um, that we are broken people, but that, Lord, that you do not just want to save us, but you want to put our lives back together. You want to empower us for your mission, and you want to use us, God. And I pray that that would be our heart's prayer and our heart's desire as we continue to pursue you and celebrate you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.